Welcome to the Red Tree Pod, a project aimed at seeing how grace clarifies our otherwise confusing lives and attempts at reading the scriptures. I'm your host, Davis Johnson, and in just a few seconds, I'll be joined by my co-host, Chris Wachter, as every other week, we come to you to break down an Old Testament passage, a psalm, a portion of a New Testament letter, and my favorite part, the but what about section, where we look at a trickier part of scripture that seems to go against everything we talk about here on this podcast, but actually doesn't. We are glad to have you with us. Welcome to another episode of the Red Tree Pod. I'm joined again with my co-host here, Chris Wachter. Chris, how are you doing uh, today? Good, Davis. Uh, yeah, a little sore from shoveling snow yesterday. Uh-oh. I don't know about you, if you move snow or not. but I um, But yeah, but no, it's uh, doing doing pretty well, though. Um, are you a fan of, of but, the snow and, and shoveling? I So historically, I'm not. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm born and raised Minnesotan, um, but I, I have not historically loved it. I think ever since buying a home, I think then once you have to like move it on your property, you know, it's like, oh, this is kind of a hassle. You're but, only like 30 years into that. Yeah. Right. Owning a home yeah. Thing, so. Yeah. It's going to go away. Right. <laughs> um, but no, I was actually thinking yesterday a little bit about that, how it snow makes me work, which I don't like, you know, at, ever, um, any form of work. Yeah. Like it's, it just said, okay, now you gotta get out there and bust your back, you know, yeah. kind of thing. And, um, but it also like, it's also a good thing. Like it stops me a bit, gives me some rest. And so I kind of like noticed that last night, how like, I can't really leave my house. I mean, I probably could, it wasn't that deep, but I was like, no, we can't. I think it was, a lot, yeah. it was a lot of snow. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot of snow actually kind of surprised, I think busted forecast and stuff like that. So I think it's, uh, snow is surprising. I think it, it changes plans, cancels plans, uh, causes you to rest. And so I just kind of feel like those, for me, it's a mix of emotions, you know? And so I, I think that that explains for me, it was kind of this insightful, aha moment for me, you know, just that, oh, that's maybe why I don't like it, but also do kind of like it as yeah. it's kind of law and grace to me huh. in a sense, like it tells me to work, which I don't like, but it also tells <laughs> me to rest, which I do like. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, how about you? How are yeah. things going on your, your side of things? Well, I think actually you're, you just became a millennial in saying that. Cause have you heard John Mulaney ever? No. Give that, uh, he, he says that canceled plans are the crack of our generation. Oh. It just feels so good. When <laughs> cancel plans. So nice. You're officially in the millennial camp. Well, uh, well thank you. Water's nice. Yeah. I got a little bit younger. Appreciate sure. it. Yeah. No, no, we're doing well. Uh, we, we were a little bit behind the, the bus here in watching the show Andor. You heard of this? I have. It's, yeah. It's that Star Wars uh, kind of genesis of the Empire start, the rebellion being started. It's poorly named, poorly marketed, but maybe the best thing Star Wars has ever done. Mm-hmm. I'm historically not a fan. I've heard, yeah. Uh, of Star Wars as much, but uh, this is making us a fan. We, we just finished it and wow, I'm so impressed with it. And in so many ways, I think uh, part of the reason I've had some resistance to Star Wars in the past is I, I kind of just, I don't find it compelling that stormtroopers can rule the galaxy. Like they're just, they're just <laughs> dumb. Like they can't shoot a gun. They're always getting beat up. They, they always lose. And yet they're supposed to be right. ruling the galaxy. Just not a very, not believable. Yeah. I think you need a good villain to make a good story. And, uh, they're just not good villains, but in Andor, the start of this, the, the whole empire and the rebellion, it's, it is terrifying. They are a force of evil and a well-oiled machine, and you're watching this thing go take over. And uh, in the in the midst of that, you also have the start of the rebellion, which requires lots of sacrifice from a few to lead this big thing. And you get all these awesome elements too of team and 
uh, you have a, you have a heist, which if you like heists and shows, it's yeah, just really exciting. Yeah, really yeah. exciting. And then even Prison Break, which was one of my favorite shows from the early 2000s. Um, you got some elements of that. It's just, it makes for a great show. So, yeah. And I'm getting commissioned by that's advertising. This, right. So that's why. It sounds like a lot. <laughs> little, little Ocean's Eleven in there. Yes, a little Prison right. Break. Yeah. <laughs> a Sprinkling. little sci-fi. Yes, actual yes, Star Wars. Right. Yeah, yeah, wow. Little Matrix. Little Matrix. No, there's no Matrix. <laughs> well, we should dive in. We got a lot to cover today. We're going to be hanging out in Genesis 29, Psalm 23, uh, continuing our time in First Thessalonians as well, while wrapping up with James two for our but what about section, Love which it. I can Love it. share a little bit more later. But to start, we have uh, Rachel and Leah in Genesis twenty nine. So, uh, for those who are not who maybe less familiar, Jacob the swindler, uh, as we like to call him, is uh, he's got the hots for a gal named Rachel, and he hopes to marry her. And uh, Rachel's father is at Laban. Am I pronouncing that right? Sounds right. Yeah. Uh, says, yeah, you can you can have my daughter as long as you work for me for seven years beforehand. So it says Jacob easy peasy. Was, yeah. So it's, it's easy, right? You worked for Aletha. <laughs> oh, isn't that normal? Six years, Everyone does seven that. Years? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Actually, eight years. It was so, eight years no. of shoveling snow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thirty-two years, actually. <laughs> right. Uh, so yes, he has to work for seven years. It says it, it. The the text actually says it was really easy for him because he was so in love, so excited. Seven years below by and then you get this weird bait and switch where he it, the Hebrew literally says yeah then in the morning the day after the wedding yeah. Leah right th- there was Leah not yeah. Rachel and that's the big surprise <laughs> he had married the wrong sister yeah. Maybe there was something in the wine that night. I don't right. know how he right. didn't see that, but yeah. that's the story. Then he works for another seven years and gets Rachel's hand. Mm. Uh, what is going on in this story? And if you had to teach it, where would you go? Yeah, good question. I um, One thing that sticks out for me is verse 16, where it says, now Laban had two daughters. And whenever I see that kind of, you know, someone had two something or so-and-so had a, a set of twins or something like that. I think in Galatians 4, that's, that's kind of Paul's angle too on, uh, on Sarah and Hagar is Abraham had two wives, right? Or mm. there are two, these two women uh, that kind of constituted that story and they had two sons that represented two covenants. And so I think for me, when I see that, I, I wonder, are there two covenants in this story as well? Mm. A law covenant and a grace covenant. And I think, I think there are. I think uh, the, the Rachel in the story represents a wife who was worked for uh, and um, the Leah was given. Uh, he, she wasn't worked for, you know? And so I think you kind of have that dynamic going on here mm-hmm. where it, there's a surprise to it. There's almost this kind of a scandal behind it. Just like we would say about grace, that it comes out of nowhere. It's a surprise. It's it's um, undeserved, you could say. And maybe uh, not and, and always what we're looking for. I mean, not, we're not. Yeah. We just aren't. I think there is that idea, like even um, around Christmas time, is that kind of idea of Advent, where mm-hmm. you know he Jesus comes to stay in a uh, place where because there, there's there's no room for him in this certain spot, and so he takes up residence, or Mary and Joseph do in this other place, and so I think like our hearts are the same. I mm-hmm. think like we don't really have room for him, and then he kicks the door down, that kind of thing, and so grace is invasive in a good way. But I think that's kind of what you see in this story is that Rachel. Um, you know, is in one sense, if Jacob is a Christ figure, and I think he is, then Rachel is a picture of us, then the idea that Christ works for us, I think there's a lot of gospel on that too. Mm. But I think in the, on the, you know, Laban had two daughters kind of side, I think we see a, a, a story of two covenants, one of work and one of, uh, one of grace. And so and it's an odd story, but it's, it, we shouldn't be shocked then when, when we find out later that Judah is one of Leah's sons and, 
uh, that and Jacob's sons, but that Jesus comes from that line. Mm. And so uh, Judah being Jesus's ancestor, then uh, he does not come from the line of work, work for, you know, a, uh, for a blessing, but he comes from the line of surprise mm. and the line of grace and the line of you did, you did nothing for this, but you're getting it anyway. Mm. Uh, it's um, so I think there's a lot of grace in that Saul and David, I think image that idea later in the story too, where, you know, Saul is the people's choice, you know, in a sense, and David is God's choice. There's kind of the juxtaposition, lots of places we could look. Um, mm. But I think Rachel's beautiful. Leah's not, you know, Saul had this outward appearance and people are like, yes, we need that, you know? And uh, David was like, you know, totally looked over as like this 10 year old or whatever he was, you know, yeah. uh, kind of thing. But so I think all those, like all those layers together, I think kind of congeal around the idea of, uh, of grace. And, uh, it's a weird way to get to it, but that's, that's Genesis for you. You yeah. know, it's just, it's weird stories that come with these juxtaposed sides that represent two streams or ways of thinking about how we connect with God, you know, and it, and it's right there at yeah. the beginning, which I've always, I always love that, you know, it's right there at the beginning. So, yeah. And that, and that surprise element, I think is, is so significant for the story. It's the thing that Jacob's not looking for. Jacob thinks he's got control of his life and he's moving from swindle to swindle yeah. uh, all over his lifetime right. as these events unfold around him. Then he's finally swindled, gets a little bit of, yeah. uh, of his own medicine, he did. He did. which some people would want to make that the main element of the story of just like, Hey, you, you got what's coming towards you, which is not good news, by the way. Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but I think for Jacob, you have God showing up in the realities of real life, right? Like this, in these parts of breakdown that happened to him where things are not going his way, God interrupts him with something that he's doing that's ultimately going to lead, I mean, hundreds, if not, I don't know the timeline on this, uh, to when between Jacob and Jesus. Yeah. But God is interrupting Jacob's story to do what he's intending to do. And it's ultimately going to lead to the blessing and, I mean, the, the gift of life to, to millions, to, right. to anybody who has faith in Christ. This is, this is happening. Right. And it's actually thwarting Jacob's intentions. And this is all part of Jacob's own story where, yeah. I mean, even is it two or three chapters later, he's going to actually wrestle with God and learn a lot about the way the gospel works. That yeah. it's not an overcoming by our strength, but right. in our being humbled and having right. to limp through Love life it. Love it. with things that we don't expect. So uh, definitely more angles that we can touch on if had we had more time, like why polygamy is not a good idea. Uh, right. How it's not prescriptive. <laughs> it's not prescriptive. Yeah. Uh, and, and even from Leah's vantage point, actually, that's my favorite port, part of this passage is seeing what it's like to be Leah in this equation and just thinking of that personal element and where God re, God meets her in this and totally. brings about something that she could have never uh, brought about that totally. even Rachel didn't get. Yeah. Um, being the A lot of inward, outward things there too, I think, <laughs> which again, made me think of David, the, the man after God's own heart, that kind of idea, you know, but how, again, there's just this the law was very outward. It's very phys It prodded, it poked, you know, it could maybe clean your skin, right. With washing rights and things like that. And, um, make you look like you were keeping the law by not murdering someone, yeah. but, it, but inside the whole time you wanted to. And so mm. is that any better, you know, and probably not, you know, it's, uh, on the grand scheme. So, uh, I think like Leah then represents the, the opposite of that, that there's something internal, I think there, and there's something in David as well. So again, Leah, so Jesus's family timeline then, uh, teaches us theology, you know, his ancestry teaches us about what 
Jesus would be like later or what the gospel that he would inaugurate would actually be all about. And so that's why these stories, I think, matter. Yeah, the interpreted history of scripture. This is God interpreting what's actually happened for us, which is significant. Uh, Well, let's turn the page then to Psalm 23, the serene coffee cup uh, chapter of the Psalms. I think a lot of people have heard Psalm 23 uh, even if you're not familiar with the Bible, you're likely familiar with some of its concepts. And though it, it is good that this is a celebrated psalm, there's so much rich, comforting words in this. There's also a pretty scary kind of angle that this psalm takes. And I'm thinking of, uh, I think it's verse four when it says, even though I walk through the valley of uh, the shadow of death. Some say it's the darkest valley. Some translations call it the sunless valley of the shadow of death. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't say if, it says when. Right. <laughs> Meaning much of life actually consists of mm. walking through a sunless valley. There's a normalizing of the human experience in the psalm that says life looks like this. Life looks like experiencing sunlessness for prolonged periods of time. Mm. Forms of suffering, uh, encountering evil face-to-face uh, that looks a lot like Andor. We might even say, actually, that right. there is a galactic empire of evil and sunlessness that's causing uh, oppression and taking us over in ways that we don't expect, but it might actually not be as far away as a as a galaxy that's far, far away. Uh, but actually, is close to the heart. It's close. It's it's it lurks within us. Sin itself creates uh, sunless valleys in our lives. We usually are even the pro- the cause yeah. uh, of these things. Uh, or really good. The theologian Taylor Swift. It's me. Hi. Oh. I'm the problem. <laughs> Hello, I'm over here. Yes. Oh, I'm the problem. I'm the problem. Yeah. It's me. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. What else it. is going on here in Psalm twenty three? Because that's that's a bad that's a bad news. So how does it, the, it how is the bad news? news I love that spin though. That's really helpful. Um, I think that um, for me, I always looked at. I don't have it in front of me. I think it's verse. Is it six? Um, the idea of how God, verse five, how God prepares a table. It says, "You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies," and that was always. Uh, I mean, you say coffee cup, you know, uh, verse in the sense that it's something maybe you're told to memorize when you're at a certain point in your spiritual journey or something, or it's this kind of like really short summative psalm that just sounds pretty, makes you know, you feel and nice. just makes it. Yeah. Except for the, you know, that's why I like your spin on it. But, um, but whenever I read that you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies, I always, I always just felt like that doesn't happen to me though. Like that never happens to me. Mm-hmm. I don't eat with my enemies. Like, have I ever done that? You know, um, at least not knowingly, I guess, or something, you know, it's not something that I, so if this is kind of a, and this is sounds promise based, it sounds like this is, this will happen. Uh, like you were saying before about a different part of the Psalm. And so for me, it was always kind of problematic. Like it seemed like this should be happening. So what's wrong with me? Am I not doing Christianity right? You know, am I not loving my enemies as much as Jesus says, as I should, as Jesus says later in, in the story. And so, but I think like when you look at like the life of David and I, you know, we mentioned this a second ago, maybe too, but David is a type of Christ in the Bible, clearly in so many ways. And that's in the Psalms as well. These are the songs of Jesus in a lot of ways too. And so if that's the case and it's his, Jesus's vantage point, ultimately that we're looking at, then I think, uh, what you see is, um, is his voice. You see this idea that in verse five, it's actually Jesus saying to his father, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies, which then makes us the enemies. Like we're the ones that get to dine with Jesus, the the second David. We're the ones that get a place at the table, 
you know, for no reason whatsoever, based on our effort and works and, and moral acuity, it's, it's just his love. Mm-hmm. It's just his acceptance. And Second uh, Samuel 9 is good with this, with Saul's grandson, Mephibosheth, and that whole story, which we maybe won't have time for, but just that idea about David's like, who is left in Saul's, in Saul's family or kingdom, I forgot what he says, but that I can show kindness to. And he's just, he wakes up just adamant. He wakes up excited to go out and look for his enemies that he can sort of adopt and bring to bring into his kingdom and his table and kind of reclassify their identity, you know, and basically save them. Right. And, um, so I think that's reading Psalm 23 that way is really liberating. It, it, it takes the focus off of this needs to be your life all the time, or you're not uh, obeying the Bible, you know, even though there's elements to that, of course, um, it's, it takes the full weight off of that. I think it puts it more onto Christ and makes it his song right. or his prayer, his story. Um, and then you see death, I think, and resurrection in that Psalm too. You see him go into the valley. And then after that, he's kind of with his father, right? There's like images of resurrection and ascension, I think after that um, as well. So, yeah, which is so good. Cause, cause again, some of these coffee cup verses, like even verse six, I love verse six, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Those are those are comforting words that do greet us, especially if we're in hard times or not. It's just it's nice to think about goodness and mercy pursuing us. And yet I think the right place to to grasp the fullest meaning of what this text has for us is to position it in light of the gospel. Because Psalm 22 comes right before Psalm 23, and Psalm 22 is quoted all over the place surrounding the actual events of Jesus dying for us. That's good. And so, so the gospel itself comes underneath Psalm 23 and makes it good news. Uh, even looking at Psalm, Psalm 22 itself, uh, let's see, verse 24, for he, he has not despised, God has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. This is about God listening to Jesus dying for us in our place so that the realities of Psalm 23 would be a, would be post-cross realities for us. Yeah. That Love living it. in light of the resurrection looks like Jesus's goodness and mercy pursuing us all the days of our life. Mm-hmm. He is now after us. He is raised from the dead. He's coming and pursuing you with a message of kindness, God's kindness that looks like, hey, even though you're now experiencing hard things, suffering, dark, sunless valleys, I, I've already gone yeah. through this for you. So good. And now I'm on the other side of it. And now I'm your shepherd. Therefore, you lack nothing. So good. Yep. Love it. Well, with that in mind, let's turn now to our New Testament letter for uh, this season of the Red Tree Pod. And that is First Thessalonians. We're hanging out now in chapter two. Or are we in Second Thessalonians? Sorry. No, we're in First Thess. It is first. Yeah. Uh, gotcha. Chapter two. Well, yeah. I clearly don't know where we are. So why don't you take over First Thessalonians <laughs> chapter two? So chapter two verses uh, thirteen to sixteen. Um, yeah, I think one thing that sticks out here to me is um, the kind of like the comparison between the word of men versus the word of God. So, mm-hmm. so Paul's saying, "I didn't bring to you the words of men, the words of of, of people, uh, the wisdom." Of, of man, but instead I brought you the word of God. So Paul does this a lot in his letters. He kind of goes back and says, this is what I was like when I came to you. This is, you know, my character, but uh, my suffering for you, but also the, the content of my message. I need to, he does that here too in, in this uh, section. But one thing I see though, is that juxtaposition, that kind of like, you know, um, intentional contrast maybe in how 
It's the word of men uh, that that fail that he that he's or that he's saying he didn't bring. It's the word of God that he says is actually the thing working in your life now. Uh, it's it's not the words of men and. Um, and I think this is why, and then he says, this is why they're being opposed. And, and I, to me that when I see that, again, this is a broad theme in scripture. Look at the book of Acts. You know, he even says here, this happened before. It happened to your brothers in Judea, your Jewish Christian brothers who were suffering there too at the hands of Pharisees. I think the message of grace always comes with opposition, uh, even from people who are uh, good, even from people who might, you know, consider themselves spiritual or God fears or even Christians, um, that the message of grace really, and I, I would even say that the message of, of man, the message of people, the message of mankind, like that basically by that it's anything else other than grace. I think any, any other message other than we're saved by grace, not by works, any other, like, you know, that's sort of syncretized with uh, religion or spirituality that comes with a dose of law, comes with a dose of you need to do this, or this is from me, or it's based on my strength. Um, all of that's the words of men. And I think um, when we bring grace, then we come, we kind of come at that, right? We, um, we, we come with a message of weakness and lowliness and inability to save ourselves. And, mm. and what Paul is saying here is that message gets driven out by the proud, uh, even people uh, inside churches or spiritual communities or whatever. But he says um, that's really what's happening here in their, in their context, too, as they continue to bring the, the gospel to more people in their particular city. Yeah, so good. And, and I think it's, it's worth pointing out how when that word comes to people and they actually believe it, you have so many things happening there all at once that the New Testament describes elsewhere. You have, you literally have miracles, right? This is this is what a miracle looks like. It looks like dead people coming to life, spiritually dead, those who want nothing to do with God, those who, like Adam and Eve, kind of give them the finger and say, hey, thanks for making me, but I think I'm going to go my own way now. Right. Uh, and, and say, I think I'm good. And when, when we are, are, as old creation beings, do that, and then God pursues us with goodness and mercy uh, and, and actually gives us this word, this word of the gospel, and we believe it, there's a miracle taking place there. And that seems to be what, what Paul's drawing attention to here yeah. uh, all over the place, but especially in, in verse 13, um, that you actually received this word and believed it. It's good. Uh, it, yes. it, it really does change lives. And I, yeah. and I think you and I have talked pretty extensively about what does this look like then after one has had the miracle of yeah. new life happen? When After you've been justified, you right. move to this category of that theologians like to call sanctification, which right. is right. the Christian life for the rest of your days here on earth until you see Jesus face to face. Right. What implications might this passage have on something like this in your eyes? Well, it's interesting. First of all, when you say, you know, received and believe, it made me think of Leah again. <laughs> it's like Jacob just received her, right? Didn't work for her. And so I think like when I see the word belief, and I think of the gospel of John too, is just rich with this um, imagery, but all the gospels, but how um, belief to me is is always the absence of works. And I think to Jesus, you know, when he says receive, believe, um, John one seventeen, you know, I, I came, like Moses brought the law, but then he says, but Jesus is bringing grace and truth, mm -hmm. John's commentary rather, but it's, it's about him. So I think like that, you know, sanctification, like um, in this passage and beyond, like I think just has to do with that constant, I think we use the, the uh, image of an IV drip in one of our earlier podcasts, but this constant IV drip of belief, of belief, well, of grace really, but then our constant like dependence on that, you know, on the thing 
sticking into your veins, you know, and the, and the solution, the tape, all of that stuff becomes means of grace, you know, to us and just, and how it nourishes us and, and bears fruit because of that. So, and that looking different than the human tendency, which is to try and put systems and measurement and all in the hopes of, I can anticipate what the Holy Spirit is going to do next and I can control that outcome. Yeah. I think that that is just what we, especially the old Adam in us, it just loves to have control. Right. But Jesus's own imagery of how he works, especially through his spirit, is it's compared to, in addition to an IV drip, which is not actually in the Bible, but it's something yes. that we, we, we would add it. We, we would add it. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jesus's images are those that are similar in the sense that they're, they're moving, they're dynamic. Uh, things like the wind, which you can't anticipate or control, just shows up and, and causes yep. things to move around. Yep. Uh, things like fire in the book of Acts, which warms those who experience it, but it's also super dynamic and consumes its fuel and yep. and causes things to happen that wouldn't happen had the fire not been around. Yep. Uh, other images of especially living water all over the place in the Gospel of John that kind of hangs on the heels of Ezekiel, right. which gives life and abundance in ways that without it you don't have. But all of these things are meant to kind of explode our categories of how we can control this and instead respond to this, which, yes. which I love, love how it. this passage uses that, that the word of God is active within you. It's actually yeah. bearing fruit in you yes. now. That's good. And believing that word is going to, like the wind causes uh, ships to move around in maybe directions they don't intend to. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's kind of the way sanctification works. It's yeah. not us. Um, yeah. you know, button down, buttoning down the hatches and saying, I know where I need to go. It's us receiving again, this word so that God can blow us the direction that he wants to and create right. life right. out of dead things within us. Yeah. And that John 15 image of bearing fruit is, it's frustrating for moralists or for all of us in our pride, because it's, it's immeasurable. Hmm. You can't, you know, dead branches can't make fruit grow, you know? And in fact, in that, in that metaphor, it's the gardener alone who's working, Right. In a, in a garden, the only sound you hear, I've heard someone say this before, the only sound you hear is the sound of the gardener. There, there's no like effort from the, the branches to push out fruit. It's, it's the pruner, you know, it's the one who's fertilizing and, and tilling the soil and watering and things like that. And so it's a unquantifiable wind blowing type, you know, Leah showing up in your tent uh, type surprise of a thing that we, um, do see in our life, we see fruit, but it comes by abiding. I mean, Jesus, really, if there's an imperative or like a call or a thing we can sort of do in that verse, it's like remain with Jesus, mm. uh, attach yourself, stay attached to the vine who is your life. And, and, and then maybe, fruit will just happen. Yeah. And maybe yeah. Uh, part of that process looks then like looking face to face with those things that you don't want right now in your life. Like mm. to use the Leah story of like, these things that kind of just fell out of heaven in ways that you didn't want them to. Things yes. like suffering, things yeah, like that. You, we really feel like you're going uphill where you really feel like you're breaking down or that, you know, a relationship with a family member or a coworker who you're just like, ugh, yeah, I don't want to be around Todd anymore. <laughs> I think it's always Todd. It's always Todd. <laughs> <laughs> but who's Todd? Sorry to all the Todds out there. Sorry, Todd. Um, yeah. Todd is the Karen of the Red Tree podcast. Right. <laughs> Well, uh, with that, that's actually a good transition to bring us to James too, because the more you talk this way, the more uh, James rattles a little bit in people's minds right. and comes with a corrective message, which is faith without works is dead. Uh, that's that's often where um, I think people want to turn when you talk more about grace. They say, "Well, what about James?" And it's a good question. And this, uh, as we've said in the past, we want to have within this podcast a chance to address some of those trickier passages 
that seem to maybe poke a hole in yeah. the theology of the gospel and the theology of grace-driven right. understanding of what the scriptures are giving us. And uh, James 2, though, unfortunately, is not a good place to do that because James 2 is replete with gospel centrality. And what I mean by that in, in particular, before you get to the faith without works is dead, is you actually have two laws that are operative in James 2. And and the first is what he calls the royal law. If you do the royal law, you are doing well. And uh, unfortunately, right after saying that, he, he, he catches himself and says, but if you disobey the royal law, you're a lawbreaker and you're condemned. Right. But then he brings in the second category <laughs> of the law, and he calls it the law which gives freedom, which I, I think is a very creative way of this brother of Jesus, uh, that's, that's the Apostle James, to bring about this message that Jesus himself was bringing. It is a law that causes freedom, and this law is Jesus himself dying in our place, in the, in the place of lawbreakers, so that they might experience a form of life that they could not earn for themselves. Uh, nowhere in the scriptures do you have the Mosaic law or telling people what to do compared to the law of freedom. Uh, this is, in fact, the gospel just used in different uh, language, which is common, especially in the book of Romans. You see that happening kind of left and right. But it's a, it's a surprise. The more you slow down in James 2, you see, oh, this isn't a, a contrary teaching to the rest of the New Testament. This is this is in lockstep with the way Paul is teaching about salvation coming through grace and sanctification itself also coming by grace. Uh, but I got one more yeah. thing to say on that, but I want to give you some space here. I'm, I'm, you got me monologuing. No, I love it. Yeah, it's super <laughs> helpful, actually, super helpful. Uh, and it's not easy to see that all the time. You know, yeah. we see law, you know, and, and it just, our minds go somewhere and they don't, they shouldn't always do that necessarily. Or law of Christ, you know, comes up elsewhere in the New Testament, which refers to something altogether different than the old law. You know, it's just this new mediatorial grace of Christ that kind of serves a law-like purpose and then it stands in between us and God as a mediator, but it's not a law per se. And so I think this, this is just a call for nuance, right? It's a, it's a call for good biblical theology and using the Bible to read itself, I think, um, elsewhere, you know, so I might actually say too, James two, I think is more of maybe a moon passage than a sun, you know, too. Not that that means it's, you know, uh, um, you know, less important in, in the grand scheme, you know, uh, in some ways maybe, but in, not in the, not in a, in a huge way, but I think like it's a, it's a light reflecting passage. It's a passage that we wouldn't necessarily go to right away, uh, to nourish a weary soul or to, um, share the gospel with a non-believer. And there's a reason for that because it's, it's a, it's a light reflecting passage rather than a light producing, you know, passage. So, which, uh, I, I think that, that was, that's a good segue for what I wanted to add, which is, uh, Paul is answering the question, what saves faith or works? And the right. answer is unequivocally faith, faith, faith that's given by, by God through grace. Uh, James is answering the question, what does that faith that saves look like? And it does look like works, but like Luther famously said, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. Right. And so the more you're gripped by the reality of God's grace to you, God's surprising grace that looks like Leah, often in things that you don't want, uh, the more good works are going to naturally happen in your life, but they don't happen by you focusing on them. Yeah, exactly. It happens by you receiving this word and believing it, and it's going to bear fruit in your life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think like even this morning I was thinking about this. So it's funny, this is coming up now, but um, about how, you know, um, let's just say kindness is a, is a, a fruit, we could say, you know, of, of the Christian, and it is a fruit of the Christian life uh, and a fruit of the spirit. And, you know, like I was thinking about how, um, I think I'm kind of kind by God's grace. Sometimes I'm not, but let's just say I kind of am. <laughs> like I don't usually wake up thinking about, you know, I need to be kind or trying to be kind. Like I, I never, I like once in my Christian, whole Christian life, I've actually 
rolled out of bed and thought, you know, I need to be kind to it. Like, it's not, even though I know it's a good thing, like, but I kind of am. So then the, then the question is, where does that come from? You know, and the Christian answer is not us. It's not me, you know, and I think it's fruit though. And so I think this reflection on the beauty of Christ and his kindness towards me is this thing that just ends up producing the fruit when you're not even thinking about, mm. you know, like kind of, again, like the, like a branch thing, a branch isn't trying to make fruit. It just is. And the gardener's the one who works uh, with his nail pierced hands, we would add. Right. And he's the one who's actually producing that goodness within us. I, so, I, I love that. I think that uh, my mind always jumps to Ted Lasso on anything theological Yeah, <laughs> uh, for all the wrong reasons. No, uh, the show is, is profound though, because you do have this for the first time. I can't think of another time in TV history where you have a show that's about what looks like supernatural kindness, regardless of what is thrown at this guy. Yeah. Kindness is, is the response. Um, and, and he, I think it's an accidental parable. I don't think he's trying to tell a Christian story in this and Jason Sudeikis putting the show together. Uh, but he, it, it is fascinating that the thing that he's always pointing at is belief. That's his, that's always his message. Belief, believe in something greater ultimately. And I think for the Christian, we'd say, yeah, it actually kind of does look like that. It doesn't look like Ted Lasso waking up every morning going, I need to be kind today to people. Yeah, right. He, he has a right. deeper anchor in something that it, that's ultimately right. steering him that ultimately produces a kindness. And I think the Christian life looks similar. There is a deeper anchor of belief. Definitely. We would just add, there's a belief in something substantial, historical, supernatural that is the person and work of Jesus yes. Christ who's pursuing you all or, the days of your life. Or we'd say self-forgetfulness, right? Just that that idea of result. the more we, yeah, we, we've, it's a result. And it's also this thing of when we're, when we're forgetting something just happens that outside of our control that, you know, that wouldn't happen as much if we were trying to force it, you know, or trying to manufacture it on our own strength. And so I think that's, that's a really a big part of the Christian life as well. That only comes through the gospel because only way to really forget yourself is to look at God. It's to look at Jesus and the bigger he gets, the bigger our Christology gets, we would say, you know, that the lower our view of self or maybe anthropology, mm-hmm. you know, gets. And that, that, relationship is crucial, I think. So, which is why we've but, gone long today. So we're self-forgetful people. We Look forget. At us go. We do. <laughs> <laughs> we'll so, catch you next time. Sounds good. Thanks for joining us. You can find us online at www.redtreegrace.com. Audio production for the podcast is provided to us by Brendan Wickstrom and website support via Nolan Bauer. And if you like what you heard, please do drop us a rating or a review on iTunes. Or don't. Either way, we will see you next time on The Red Tree Pod.